Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. We are more than halfway done with this series of Psalm 119, just walking through this wonderful psalm, the longest psalm inside of the Word of God. Divide it into 22 sections, eight verses apiece. And we now find our way to Psalm 119 and 105, verse 105. Of course, this would be the verse that covers the theme of our church this year. But if you wouldn't mind, let's look at this whole section together. Psalm 119, starting at verse 105. Psalm 119 and 105, the Bible says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I have sworn and I will perform it that I will keep thy righteous judgments. I am afflicted very much. Quicken me, O Lord, according to thy word. Accept, I beseech thee, the free will offering of my mouth. O Lord, teach me thy judgments. My soul is continually in my hand, yet do I not forget thy law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I erred not from thy precepts. Thy testimonies have I taken as a heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform thy statute always, even unto the end. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you pretty much mark the entire verse of Psalm 119 and 105, where it says, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We're thankful that God's word can be the light that we need. It is our guidance. God hasn't left us directionless and God hasn't left us without instructions. He has given us his word. You know, that is part of a idea of logic that there's either a God or there's not a God. And if there is a God, then he either created everything or he didn't create everything. Right? And if he created everything, he created everything with purpose or he didn't create things with purpose. If he created things with purpose, then wouldn't he want that purpose to be known to his creation? Then if he wants people who he created to know their purpose, then he has to leave some sort of instructions for that creation, for them to know the purpose. You understand, this is a, a step of logic that we understand that there's a God who created us. He created us with purpose and he wants us to know his purpose. And if he wants us to know his purpose, he had to leave some sort of instruction, some sort of plan, some sort of way to let his creation know what their purpose is, what their direction is. And God has given that by his word. His word is the instruction manual. Someone has cutely titled the Bible as uh, believers instructions before leaving earth. That it gives us what we're supposed to do. It's our guidance. And that's the heart of this psalm and the heart of the word of God. That thy word 
is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. As we now examine the psalm itself, we understand first of all that God's word guides us. God's word guides us. Now the word picture that is painted here is that God's word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. A light on our path just shows us the direction that we're heading. The lamp shows us the next step. No matter how bright the light will be, it cannot reveal all the twists and turns that are ahead. But what it does effectively show is the next step. The next step. It gives us that general sense of direction. Where am I supposed to go? What is the next step? If you could imagine that you would have a path that is lit up and you have just the next step lit. And then light obeyed produces more light. You have more light to follow. Light obeyed produces more light. However, if you have this path and you see the light and you step off the path, that light disobeyed produces more darkness. You get further and further away from the light with every step that you have until finally you're in darkness and say, I don't know where I'm supposed to go because I don't have a guide. Because you've stepped so far off the path that you've lost the light. What you have to do is get your sense of bearing again. Where is the light? And start stepping towards that light. And light obeyed produces more light. Light disobeyed produces more darkness. We see this principle all throughout the Bible. And we wonder why the Bible gives the indication that people love darkness rather than light. That people are found in darkness all the time. Even people who are Christians, they claim to be Christians, are saying, I don't know what to do. And they're so far away from God. It's because they've left God's word. The greatest thing you could do on a daily basis is to be in God's word for yourself every day because it is the light. And if you're not in God's word every day, by default, you're off the path and you're in darkness. And no wonder the people who spend so much time off the path have a hard time understanding what's next. What am I supposed to do? I just seem so lost. God's word, <laughs> how he guides is simple. God leads us one step at a time. So many people like to have the 20-year plan or the 30-year plan. God doesn't work that way. He shows you the next step and the next step. And the problem is, is that instead of finding, looking at the step, we're trying to look out in the darkness and trying to find out where is it that I'm supposed to go? Hey, where? God says, I just want you to focus on the next step. Amen. And then the next step. You see, God keeps it simple. We make things complicated. Out in the darkness, where is it that I'm supposed to go? Where? I can't see. It's just darkness out there. I don't have any direction. Next step. Next step. Next step. Now, through the Bible, the Bible gives us principles to live by. Now, the Bible does not say, Tom, marry Susie. The Bible does not say, Jane, marry Wally. But the Bible does give principles that help guard our path. For example, the Bible says, be not unequally yoked. So if somebody came up and said, you know what? I'm saved, but the boyfriend that I have is not saved. Should I consider marrying him? The Bible answers clearly, no. Because it's very clear. It's given us instructions. Now you could choose to avoid that light. And do whatever you want. But then you're going off the path. And the next thing you know. You're going to be in a place where you go. 
what do I do now? I've messed up everything. Everything doesn't work out. Well, because you've avoided the light. You've stepped the darkness. You've gone outside of bounds, which happens all the time. We know the Bible doesn't say don't drink, <laughs> don't smoke, don't do drugs. But it does say that our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost and not to defile it. So we have a principle that we can apply. And so God has a lot of principles. Why? What is my biblical reason for not doing drugs? The Bible doesn't say anything about heroin. Amen. <laughs> but we have plenty of principles in the Bible that I can apply that says don't do that because my body is supposed to be dedicated to God and I need God's permission. We understand that there's principles. But someone says, what happens when I need specifics? What happens when I need a specific answer? Well, the Bible becomes a light to our path and a guide to the next step. At these times, what the Holy Spirit does is that God will use your natural Bible reading to help guide you Yes or no, to give you a specific answer to guide you. That's why the greatest thing you could do on a daily basis is to read God's word for himself. <clears throat> now, maybe I'll use a Bible illustration and then we'll kind of dive into this a little bit more. That Abraham had a son of promise by the name of Isaac. As Isaac grew up, there became an important time in his life where he needed to get married. However... Abraham had made a, a rule, a standard, that I don't want Isaac to go back to where he came from. This is where God had promised us. This is the land that God had given to us. Let's not remove ourselves from the promises from that promised land that God had gave, given to us. Let's stay here. So how do I get a wife? Because Abraham said, you also can't marry anybody that's here. All right, so I've got to go get married, but I can't go back. But I can't marry anybody here. What do I do? So God sent a servant. By the way, this is all recorded in Genesis 24. God sent a servant. And Abraham tasked him. Gave him some instructions. This is what I want you to do. And what happened is that the servant was tasked to go find a bride for Isaac. And so as he went... Could you imagine being tasked that job that Abraham has been praying for 40 years for the child of promise? Now the child is here. He's getting ready to be married. He has to find God's will for a wife. And the servant is tasked for getting the right wife. Now it's hard enough to find the spouse for yourself. Can you imagine trying to find the spouse for someone else? It's God's will. And so now what do I do? He's praying quite a bit. Lord help. Lord help. Lord guide. Lord guide. And so he arrives on the land and specifically had said, Lord, I want you to guide. Make sure that um, the person that I'm supposed to lead to, let's um, <laughs> guide me to this lady in a way that I know came from you. How about this? That I'm going to ask for some lady to, to fill my water. We'll use this as the next step. So he comes, he's got camels and whatnot. He comes and finds a lady and asks, can you give me some water? Sure. Now remember, it's not just going up in the refrigerator and pulling out a bottle of water. It's not running the tap and pouring the water in. That they had big cisterns out in the desert that they would actually walk down the steps into the well. So it's not like Timmy's well where you had the little uh, bucket that you would wrench down and wrench back up. They actually had a walk down. And so... Oftentimes the ladies would carry a bucket on their head and they would walk down the stairs and go all the way down, take the water, walk all the way back up. 
And he said, don't just give me water. Can you water my camels? Now, if you're not familiar, camels can drink quite a bit. So that means that's going to be many, many trips. And to have someone who's willing to be a servant to a stranger, someone who's willing to do the work, that's going to be a lot of work to be a blessing to a stranger. That was a big deal indeed. And so she said, no problem. And she went down and then as the servant inquired, guess what? She met the qualifications her, that his master had given her, given him to find a wife. Amazing. And so the, um, the servant talks to her a little bit and she says, come talk to my dad. And the dad rightfully had a lot of questions. How'd you get here? What's going on? And good questions to ask. Finally, the question was, how did you pick her? What was the steps? And he said this amazing thing in Genesis 24. I being in the way, God led me. And it carries the idea of a tidal wave. That if I'm in a tidal wave and I'm in the center of the tidal wave, that as the tidal wave moves, I will automatically be moved to where I'm supposed to go. I being in the way, God led me. Well, as we go back to Psalm 119 and applying this, we know that God leads us step by step. But notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse 106. I have sworn and I will perform it that I will keep thy righteous judgments. Some people carry the idea that I can make a promise and it will work. A promise is one thing. Performance is something different. Many people make promises in hours of desperate need. So there's an accident. Lord, I need you to help. And I make a promise that I'll follow after you. Okay. There's an idea of foxhole religion that that God saved me from some circumstance. Well, that doesn't mean salvation. That's a different lesson altogether. But when times, when the crunch is on, people often make promises. Lord, I'll serve you. Lord, I'll show up. Lord, if you will just help me. Promises are one thing that we make to God. But it's the idea of performance. That if I'm going to follow after God, it's step by step by step. And it's going to be consistent. It's not, well, one day I'll show up to church and then I'll miss for a while. And then I'll show up to church and then I'm going to be good with God. You will not. Far away from God. Someone says, well, if I read my Bible, you know, once a month, I should be good. No, you will not. You see, if you're going to be in the way to allow God to lead you to the next step and to where you're supposed to be, you need to be consistently performing God's word and God's will every day. I being in the way, God led me. That we're not necessarily looking for God's will for 10 years down the road or 20 years down the road. Am I in God's will right now? And if I'm in God's will right now, that what will happen is that God will automatically lead me to where I'm supposed to go. I being in the way, God led me. Many people miss this in their Christian life is because they're not consistent in their Bible reading. They're not consistent in their prayer life. They're not consistent in their church attendance. They're not consistent in the promises they had told God they were going to do or the promises they had said out loud they were going to do. And because of that, light obeyed produces more light. Light disobeyed produces more darkness. We make things complicated. God makes things simple. 
that if we stay in God's word and we stay in God's will, God will guide us step by step by step by step. And then when we come to the places where we definitely need a specific way to step, God will guide me through his word. He'll show me what the next step is very clearly. He will lead me in a plain path. But when we're inconsistent, when we're out in the middle of the field, away from the path, we have a hard time discerning what's next. What am I supposed to do? You see, God has it simple. We make things complicated. The next step and the next step. You say, well, I don't know what the next step is. Stay in your word. Stay being obedient to what God is. And he'll land you where you're supposed to. Just keep moving forward. He will move you. Just keep going forward. Just keep moving forward. Just keep moving forward. Just keep moving forward. Being obedient to what God is. But this is important. That if we're going to let God's word guide us, we have to be obedient to the things that God has given to us to do. Taking the next step. And then the next step. And the next step. I have sworn and will perform it that I will keep thy righteous judgments. I am afflicted very much. Quicken me. O Lord, according to thy word. Once again, we have this idea of quicken him. That the psalmist observes the affliction endured from without. He also knew he needed God's help from within. God's word links our weakness to his strength. Do you know the places that we're actually the weakest on? Is the places that we feel we're strong on. If you think that you're smart, then guess what? You don't depend on God for your intellect. If you think you're strong, well, then you end up not depending on God for strength. But it's actually our weaknesses that become our best assets because those are the places we know we can't do it. I need God to guide me. I need God to guide me. I need God to help me. And if we can learn to make our strengths weaknesses, meaning, Lord, I'm not as smart as I think I am. I need your help. God, I'm not as strong as I think I am. I need your help. Lord, I can't do this myself. I need your help. Lord, I thought I knew what I was doing. I do not. Lord, help me. We have to allow God to guide us. The trouble that we get in is when we say, I got this. You ever uh, have a kid when he's first learning to walk and he says, leave me alone. I got this. And or the kid learning to ride the bicycle. I got this. And that's when they're in the most trouble. And they think they got this. When we learn how to depend on God and say, God, I need you. I need you to tell me. <laughs> if I could be honest, normally the way that we walk with God is like, I got this. I got this. I got this. Wait, what just happened? Where am I at? Lord, help, help, help. And we were at the place where we were trying to follow our own path, thinking that we had this. He says, quicken me. Remember that word quicken means alive. Carries the idea of revival. Lord, I need your help every day, every moment, every step, every, every day. I need you. I need the hour every hour. I need you for the next step. I need you for the next step. I need you for the next step. Lord, help me not to depend on myself because I'm going to get lost if I try to do it myself. And my temptation is that I know what I'm doing. Lord, help me even in those times. It's learning to cast our dependence upon him. Help me. Help me. Verse uh, 108 goes along with this. Except I beseech thee, 
the free will offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me thy judgments. The psalmist, of course, would be familiar with the free will offerings listed in the law. The greatest of the free will offerings, meaning ones that were given not because they were supposed to, but because they wanted to. That's a free will offering. The greatest of this would be the burnt offering. However, the psalmist goes beyond the law and offers the free will offering of his mouth. This is the offering that was the praise and worship that would come out of my mouth. The Bible states in John chapter 4 that true worshipers worship him in spirit and in truth. And so he says, Lord, I want you to teach me even what my mouth is supposed to say. I want you to guide me even what I'm supposed to do. And let me worship you the way that you desire. All throughout the beginning of the Bible, all the way through, you witness this one common element. Man tends to want to worship God the way we want to, rather than God wants to. And that's where we get ourselves in trouble. You understand that all of the Christian life is an extension of worship. The reason why I go to my job is because of worship of him. (laughs) The reason why I have a job is because of my worship of him. That the way that I deal with people should be flowing out of my worship of him. It all starts with God and flows out. That's where we start. Lord, I want you to even be with my mouth the way that I think. I need you. I need you to guide me so I could go on the same path. If we could take a little asterisk, pause. Most of the problems we have in our life is because of our own mouth. Could you nod your head and agree with that? I need God to even guide my mouth to make sure I'm in the right place. Because I could get myself lost in a curry, not by my steps, but by my mouth. I need you to take even my mouth. And guard every step that I take. That it worships you. The way that is pleasing to you. That the thoughts of my mind. The words of my lip. Are all pleasing to you. And that you would guide me. And direct me. Teach me thy judgments. So I can go step by step by step. And let you guide me. Every part of the way. Not only does God's word guides us. God's word guards us. Notice as we go to verse 109. My soul is continually in my hand. Yet I do not forget thy law. Notice that phrase. It's a a very important phrase. My soul is continually in my hand. It's equivalent to say my heart was in my mouth. We sometimes use that expression as a poetical way. Some another way of saying it is my life was in my hand. It carries that you put yourself in the utmost danger. An illustration of this that that phrase is used is when Jonathan is going um, is trying to defend David. And so David uh, doesn't show up to supper because he says you know what if I show up to supper your dad's going to kill me. Jonathan says no no no. And David said yeah I'm pretty sure. How about this? You go ahead and I won't show up And if your dad asks about me, say that I went to go worship at my house and with my family down in Bethlehem. And if he says no big deal, then you are right, I was wrong. But if he gets mad, then you know that he was planning on killing me and and, uh, 
you'll know. And then they made the agreement that when they were done, that Jonathan was supposed to take the, the bow and the arrow and launch it out. And if he sit, tells his servant to, that the arrow went further, then David would know that he's in danger to run. And so the supper comes. Day one, Saul kind of looks and doesn't say anything. He's looking grumpy. Sec, day two, looking. Day three, finally. Hey, where is David at? Jonathan says, oh, he went down to uh, Bethlehem to go worship. You, and then he cusses out his son. And then he takes a javelin and attempts to kill his own son. Because he's so mad that David's not there for him to kill. What Jonathan did is he took his own life in his own hand. Put himself in danger in order to uh, take care of Saul. So here it is with the psalmist. That the psalmist is in very real danger. He knows that there are people that are trying to kill him. That they're trying to get rid of him. And of course, because I often associate this psalm with Daniel, isn't that true? A lot of times in Daniel's life where people wanted to kill him. Yes. They came up with a plan to get him thrown in the lion's den. That was later part of his life. There was all kinds of things that happened between uh, the beginning part of Daniel and the last part of Daniel, some that are not recorded, that Daniel was very much in danger. But if you apply this to any psalmist, very much in danger. So to calm his fears... The psalmist goes to God's word. I'm in very much danger. My life is in danger. My heart is in my throat. My life is in your hand. I'm going to your word. I need help. I don't know what way to go. So you're going to have to tell me. I don't know how to get out of this. If I, if I do this in my own strength, I'm going to die. You know, there are times that are pretty serious in our life where we need to have God's word. We have important decisions that come up. Put our life and say, Lord, I'm trusting you. Notice as it goes on in verse 110. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I erred not from thy precepts. In the dangers he fa faced, God's word is his guard. He knew that he needed to guard himself against wrongdoing, especially when the enemy set traps for him and encouraged him to fail. He needed to allow God's word to guide him every step of the way so he didn't make a mistake that would ruin him. I need your word to guard me, to protect me from myself. Now, the enemies are trying to kill me, but what's really going to mess things up is me. <laughs> if I left it my own devices, I'm going to mess things up. I'm going to make things worse. I'm going to open up my mouth. I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm going to do the wrong thing. I'm going to react rather than respond to you. If I react to them, then I'm going to re uh, respond to the flesh. And the flesh is never the answer. He says, I need you to guard me, even from myself. I need your protection. I need your grace. And then we could see one last thing here is that God's word encourages us. God's word encourages us here. Notice in verse 11, or 111. Thy testimonies have I taken as a heritage forever. A heritage is something we inherit. The most priceless heritage we have is the Bible. However, to yield the treasures that the Bible has requires work. The Bible never fails to yield its riches to our soul when we work at it. And when we do find treasures, our souls rejoice and our lives bear fruit. He says, thy testimonies I've taken as a heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. You know, most people don't think that God's word 
is a good treasure, much less an inheritance. But this is what has been left for us. Our God wants to guide us. And he has given us his word. And there's many things to dig at. And let me tell you, if you put the effort to dig, you will find. Every time. There are so many treasures to, to dig out, to find. There's so many things to, to discover. And just when you think that you've emptied that diamond mind out, you find some more. It's a great treasure that there's so many things to, to guide and to protect us and to encourage us. You know, some people wonder, how come I don't know God's will in my life? Did you know that you can know God's will in your life? Paul did. If you look at almost all of his letters, he said, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. When he was done in 2 Timothy, he said, I have run my race. I have finished my course. How did he know he was finished? He knew what God's will was. Knowing God's will is important. We know there's a general will for everyone, meaning that God wants everyone to be saved, everyone to go to church, everyone uh, to follow after him. But there's also a specific individual will for everyone's life. And God wants you to know it. There is something that God created you for. There is a purpose. Remember, we had said this at the very beginning. There was a purpose why God created you. And he wants you to know his purpose. And you can know his purpose through his word. And when you find that purpose, God guides you. He can guide you that purpose and you can know God's will. You can be satisfied in God's will. You can be excited when you know exactly where I'm supposed to be at. But so many people, because they're not in God's word, because they don't treasure God's word, they're so far away from God's good and perfect and acceptable will in this life. Could you imagine when you die and stand before God and give an account and find out that you just missed everything that God wanted you to do. I'm glad that you're in heaven. I'm glad you got saved. But you know what? You missed everything. I had so many plans for you and you missed it. Wouldn't that be a horrible feeling when you stand before God and find out how much you missed? That he had all these wonderful things planned for you. But because you wouldn't follow his path, you missed out on it all. God has a good and perfect acceptable will. And God's word shows us. How do we know God's will? You cannot know it outside of God's word. You cannot be a spiritual person without first being a scriptural person. Someone who does not love God's word does not know God's will. Period. Emphatic statement. There's no such thing as someone who's in God's will who's not in God's word. No such animal. God's word is what guides us. That's why we need to love God's word. So we can be where God was at. Think about all the people in the Bible who's in God's word. Can you imagine Paul saying, eh, no big deal if I skip my Bible reading. That doesn't match up. Here was someone who was excited about God's word. And he was excited about what God had given to him to do in his life. Notice the last verse here. Psalm 119 verse 112. I have inclined my heart to perform. There's that word perform again the second time in this passage. I have inclined my heart to perform thy statutes always, even to the end. Most people find that God's word, that keeping God's word is like an uphill tiring battle. Oh, I got to do this and I got to do this. and Oh, just so much work. Not the psalmist. The psalmist is saying, 
the, the direction that he was headed was home. <laughs> He's got a direction. This is the step to get me to home. This is how I get to God. That's my goal. Oh, it's not an uphill battle. It's I'm heading where I'm supposed to do. You know, there's something, if you've been on a long trip, and then you see the, the markers that says, you know, home is just a certain amount of miles and you finally get there. There's an excitement to it. Oh, I know I'm getting to the end. Oh, it's not a burden. Oh, why do I have to drive the last? Man, let's get home. I'm going a direction. I've got something to get to. That's what the psalmist was at. He says, it's not a burden. It's not a weight. It's not something I have to do. Oh, come on. I got to go keep following he says, no, it's leading me to a direction. It's a blessing. I've inclined my heart. That carries the idea that I have it moving towards a direction. My direction's towards home. And keeping God's word is made easier because I'm heading that. Because I'm going to the next step. And the next step. And every step gets me closer to my goal. Every step that I take gets me closer to my God. Every step that I get is one step closer. It's not a burden. It's one more mile. It's one more foot. It's one more step. I'm getting closer. Every step that I get, that's where I want to go. The Bible says that where your treasure is, it's where your heart is. Well, he says, my goal is God. And it's not a burden at all. Every time I obey God's word, it's one more step. One more mile. I'm almost there. I'm going another time. I'm getting closer all the time. It's not a burden at all. With his eyes on home and worded as guide, his, the word as his guide, the psalmist allows the word of God to guide him step by step by step. Verse 112 again. I have inclined my heart to perform thy statutes always, even unto the end. The end is home. I'm just leaning into it. I want the next step. I'm just going forward. My momentum always is forward. Next step. Next step. Next step. And what do I know where that next step is? Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a guide to my path. A light to my path. It's our guide for our life. Next step. Next step. And that picture that you have that he's leaning into it. Oh, next step. Next step. Because I'm going to go home. I'm going to the Lord. That's where I want to go. It's not a burden to get there. I want to get there. Next step. Next step. Why do I want to go chase butterflies off the path? Why do I want to get distracted over there? That's my goal. That's where I want to head to. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, 
please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.